This is why we love racing in all its forms. That's King of Swing fighting, though. Oh, he's a superstar, a champion pacer. Untapped in front. Untapped holding on. What a win. Untapped from the Harrison Sandler Cup. And it's very elegant. Ten group bumps. And now the greatest of them all, the Melbourne Cup. For the next hour, RSN is cracking the codes. Oh, I love it. Morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Cracking the Codes. Feels like it's getting a tad warmer, or am I just dreaming? Good morning, Simone and Dan. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Am I just dreaming, is, or is things on the turn? You often Spring, aren't dreaming. Spring's in the air. You wearing that scarf again makes me feel wintry, but... Yeah, I think I have to. I've got into the habit of, of having the scarf around my neck. Anyway, it's... Um, it's very European. Is it? Yeah, like sort of... Soccerish. No, I was thinking more well, Parisian. The Gunners have won mm. each of their two games at the start of this season, so I'm not disappointed by wearing it. No, either. you could be wearing a Lochinvar art scarf tonight. Yeah, well, which would be blue and white, so that would assimilate to Melbourne Victory, who I might I support with the blue and the white. So, are you going to be cheering Lochinvar home, or is you going to be going, oh, that ship has sailed? No, not at the all. Comeback it's is on tonight. Exciting to have him back. It's the right race for him to resume in. I think I expect him to win. It'd be interesting to see what price he might be. But um, you want to see the best horses back, and he's had interrupted uh, campaigns in the last eighteen months. Like it was that long ago since he won the uh, the Hunter Cup. So that's his last win. So I'm. I'm hopeful. I want it to happen for the industry. I want the industry to have their star horse back. And as you well know, it doesn't always work like that. But he's back, and let's give him a chance. Speaking of star horses, there's a race called the Winx Stakes at Randwick today, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, um, But Simone. Yes. There's a bit going on in the world of greyhound racing. And when I go to sleep and dream about greyhound racing, I dream about coursing. Do you? Well, I don't, not that often. Because you don't have to... If I did dream about greyhound race. racing, it would be the coursing version. <laughs> it's a very dreamy start to today's program, isn't it? Yeah. I'd be in Lang Lang. I'd be waking up. There'd be fires burning. There'd be greyhounds everywhere. There'd be races every two minutes. It'd be just beautiful. Well, aren't you lucky? Our guest You're this like morning. a greyhound Woodstock. <laughs> Our guest this morning is um, Peter Craig to talk about coursing and the Waterloo Cup that is happening. Well, that's a coincidence. It, it sure is. Um, <laughs> and he expects you to be there. I'll just give you the heads up, but... Yeah, he's going to talk about coursing this weekend and next weekend. They've got a million-dollar chase series happening around New South Wales at the moment, um, which is a great promotion, of course, and great money up for grabs. A lot of Victorians have been heading to those New South Wales provincial tracks, so that's all good. But I just wanted to let you know that we do have people that listen to this show. Oh, come off it. Who would listen to this? Well, I got a text during the week from Greg Calson down at Warrnambool, and just so just to prove that I do read my texts or tweets and and things and um greg has obviously been listening to our show the last couple of weeks about longevity of horses and greyhounds and animals that have had a lot of starts and super performed and he said he thought the greyhound called ima turner who won his first first 13 straight back in the 70s won the 1979 warnable cup deserved a mention the greyhound went to start at a fee of 200 (laughs) dollars back in the 70s and we were talking 10,000 now for fernando bale or up around there so quite incredible really but would um, you charge 200 dan (laughs) well not in 70 (laughs) what do you think back in the 70s you were probably (laughs) worth it oh yeah well (laughs) maybe the 80s maybe the 80s our old mate stagger from last week you showed me a lovely photo before of stagger was probably the centrepiece of our discussion about greyhounds and horses that uh, that had long careers and long lives and a lot of st- a lot of wins i think he had 64 wins from memory so he turned 13 during the week and his trainer gary Teenager. sent me a, a photo of this cake that had got made and iced from a bakery not just a safeway cake where you you know it, it had the proper icing and everything with happy 13th birthday stagger so if you're not caring about your dog, if you know if people think that great people don't care about their dogs, they only have to see that photo to know that um, Stagger obviously means a lot to them and the family. And um, he had his very own made birthday cake. Dogs don't have to win races and lots of prize money to be spoilt and be given A-grade stuff. My my dogs nowadays, they only have Scotch fillet and porterhouse. So you know, you must be making too much. Money. Well, I've got to work much harder for a living. We're talking about feedback. I got a lot of feedback. I found what I f- felt like was a gold nugget, right? We'd talked about before. We even semi-doubted Matt 
you and I, that this actually happened. One of the greatest races we've ever been privy to listen to, we were both too young to appreciate it at the time. But most and listeners... I was, yes, a few weeks older than you. Yeah, yes. months actually. Yes, yes. But but the 73 Grand National of uh, Red Rum, who then went on to place in two and win two more, five Grand Nationals, three wins, two places. His first one getting £23 from Chris, but he ran him down on the line. Anyone that's seen it, anyone that's heard it, would never forget it. They had a match race about eight months later at Doncaster. Now, I found it. I, I thought it, it existed. It did. I found it. I just thought maybe it's worthwhile replaying it. Now, look, the, the race call, with due respect, it's probably, I wish I had the opportunity to do it. But um, this was it. Yep, Red Rum taking on Crisp again, this time at level weight. So 23 pounds, what's that, about 10.5 kilos difference. And this is how it turned out. They come down to the second from home, and it's Crisp in the lead, having opened up a clear lead. He's over safely. Red Rum comes to it in second place. They've got one more fence to jump, and it's Crisp having made virtually all the running. In the lead and clear of Red Rum and Brian Fletcher, coming to the 20th fence in this race, and it's Crisp going away from Red Rum. One to jump. He jumped it safely. Crisp is over safely. Red Rum pecked a little on landing, and on the run in, it's Crisp getting back his defeat in the Grand National. He's beating Red Rum very comfortably indeed. And as they go to the post, it's Chris, the clear leader from Red Rum. There you go. Level weights flogged him. Flogged him. But you wouldn't have known maybe that race existed. I've talked to some well-known jumping personalities and they'd never heard it. They'd never seen it before. Some had heard of it happening and uh, it, it just popped up on, on the YouTube. Uh, I saw it only a few weeks ago. Well, it makes us re- feel a bit better about ourselves because yeah. the, the lingering bad taste from Aintree that year is, oh, crisp, it should have won, but then a little square up a couple of yeah. weeks later. Yeah. Simone, I saw some vision of um, Darcy. You're actually talking about buying birthday cakes from bakeries versus supermarkets. Where do hers come from? I make them. Do you? Yes, I do. Right. I'm not that good, but I do make them. So Stagger's but, 13, Darcy's 11 from mm. memory, but Darcy's nailing it on the pony trots again. Oh. There's a bit more action happening. Yeah, so pony trot season, the training days are just starting up this weekend, which is fantastic. And they've got a huge season, Dan. If you've seen the calendar, like, and they've even got pony trot into Dominion oh. this year um, with heats. I don't think we'll be tackling those, but we went out to Jodie Quinlan's during the week and gave Bobby a spin around the track. And, yeah, Palfate Darcy's, Bobby. He is like pale face Adios, isn't he? Um, so that's one good thing. But I, last week, someone did say to me, I know where you went on the weekend. You went oh, to visit another listener. You went to visit not a your old greyhound. <laughs> no, not a stalker. So I did mention I went to visit Twiggy, a little greyhound that Sandown at Toon Gabby Lodge adopted out for me. And she had a little bit of a story after arriving at Toon Gabby Lodge. But she's found the best home. And um, Graham and Judy were very hospitable. So I went and... Met, well, reunited with Twiggy and she went a little bit nuts. So just a nice story and I think they're tuning in this morning. So good morning to them if they are listening. Well, good morning to them. Uh, hey, um, lovely story at the Pakenham races last Monday. Um, I've got a feeling we're going to learn a little bit more. We might have just scraped the surface and Jackie Sims was the winning trainer. Uh, and the horse was Amberlack. It was a terrific uh, story. And after this break on Crack of the Codes, we're going to have a chat to Jackie Sims. Loving their racing, pacing and chasing. Matt Stewart, Dan Malicki, and Simone Fisher. Cracking the Codes. Guys, as I mentioned in the intro, there was a lovely little yarn in the first race on the synthetic at Pakenham on Monday. And T.O. Nugent was the winning jockey. And he sort of gave a little hint about the yarn when he was talking about Jackie Sims' how proud he was to to be the rider of Jackie Sims's first winner and uh and then I thought I better bring Jackie Sims and find out a bit more about this and there's a lovely story here and she's uh she's joining us on cracking the codes how are you Jackie I'm really good thank you Matt how are you good you're with Simone and Dan as well hi Simone hi Dan hi Jackie, Jackie. Don't bother too much with them. They're rascals. Uh, <laughs> Matt's just going to do this interview by himself now. <laughs> um, it, what a thrill. I mean, you. Yeah. Uh, we're probably going to find out through the interview why it was such a thrill, but um, such a great accomplishment to, I mean, I know you're not, you're, you're sort of on the on the slightly wrong side of 50. So to, at that, this stage of your life with horses to have come up with your first winner, what, what an amazing feat. Yeah, look, firstly, it needs to be in context that it was a weekday win at Pakenham. We're not talking sort of Saturday win in the in town. But, yes, it really was just absolutely fabulous. And, it, yeah, I'm just so proud of Hank, which is Amberlack. 
um, because he just put in and he just kept putting in, regardless of who the trainer was, it was an epic run that he put in. So, yeah, no, it was just absolutely fabulous and Tio just rode him beautifully. Um, he didn't get flustered when things weren't going right and, and just let Hank, he didn't hassle him and then brought him out when I asked him to and, yeah, I'm, I'm just so incredibly thrilled for everyone involved in Hank. Um, yeah, it's just great. Well, you can be incredibly, incredibly thrilled again because here's uh, here's the last 400 replay. 200 metres left to go from Bond of Trust who's had a hard run. Ambalak is starting to charge down the outside and Madame Mayhem is next. So Ambalak coming up to Steak Knives. Steak Knives Ambalak and Madame Mayhem in the centre. Ambalak lifts late and Ambalak's come from a long way back to win. Ambalak, uh, in fact, from last has rocketed home to win and beat the Did Madame rock at home, didn't it? Knives. And cut down Steak Knives. <laughs> is there really a horse in that race oh, called Steak did. Knives? Jackie. <laughs> Because if you win the race, you should come home with steak knives because you win the race and get an extra set of steak knives. Maybe sort of a lean steak off him. But that's not all. He sounds like a, like a, a, what was that overnight (laughs) show you? Demtel Direct. Yes, that's right. That's right. With a free set of steak knives. There was a horse during the week called a lovely brown horse. I heard Matt Hill call. Could you get any any more... um, you know, matter of fact, than a lovely brown horse. And so. Unfi Brun, which is French for the brown horse, the brown filly, oh, you know. Okay. So, yeah, sometimes there's a lot of thought. I if it was a ranger. Well, we had uh, Ginger Nuts. We had, uh, no, what was the, the one? Oh, Steve. No, there was a couple of them. Um, the the ranger was called, but they didn't pronounce it as the ranger. Kiwi horse, a good one a few years ago. Jackie, we can get sidetracked on this show. <laughs> <laughs> At least she's laughing. In the, in the thing of humour, that's fine. Hey, um, your story, I, yep. we were talking uh, um, about Lang Lang uh, on the show about the coursing, and I always see the sign to Lang Lang. I do also see a sign to Clonbanone on the way up yep. north, and that's uh, that's where you've uh, you've been in the last few years? Yeah, I've been here for uh, over 20 years now, and I was Northcote before sort of doing the country change. And, yeah, so Clombinane, you wouldn't know that it existed unless you knew someone here. It's sort of a locality. It's not really um, like there's no township or anything like that. And we sort of butt on to um, Mount Disappointment. So it's awesome. It's a really lovely spot of the world. And, Jackie, you had an equestrian background prior to training, which um, I love talking to people about their eventing and dressage days and all the rest of it. Did you have this burning passion that one day... You wanted to train a racehorse because I certainly no. don't, <laughs> but no, you didn't. I didn't even know who Winks was when I was <laughs> when I first started working in stables. I had no idea. Like I, my background is community development, so working in the not for profit, working in in local government. I've well, horse training's not for profit. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like in the disaster space. So after the 2009 bushfires, I worked community development in the Mitchell Shire um, and then went on and worked at the Flowerdale Community House, also up at Heathcote Community House, Whittlesea Community House. So that's sort of like my background and strategic planning and all of that sort of stuff. And I was just really exhausted. And I remember just so clearly, Mum said to me one time, we were sitting outside just having a drink, and she said, you need to just have a gap year. And it just was like that goes, oh, that's what I'm going to do. And I'll go and work in a racing stables. Like that's where it's all care, no responsibility. Um, so very good one. I worked up with him up at Seymour and he was just absolutely fantastic. But as soon as I started working in, it was like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> so well, then, then got a job with Peter Morgan in Eden Park and, yeah, started the process of getting my licence and, yeah, the rest is just, yeah, that's, that's how I came around to it. But, yeah, just the Wink story, that was one of the riders came in and he goes, oh, it was a Saturday, and he goes, oh, you're watching the big one today? And I sort of, like, do the squint and the, the shake of the head, the what? And he goes, the race today. I go, what race? He goes, Winks. I go, who? <laughs> Well, you might train the next one and then you'll become familiar with the name. Hey, just before we go on to the, the, the training career and yep, yep. filling in a few gaps, that um, disaster relief, um, yep. local government, you know, as you, you, soon as you say Flowerdale, it sends a shiver down people's spines because of yep. Black Saturday and and so on. What was 
you know, when you said you were said you're exhausted and your mum said you need a gap year, I can imagine why, because the stress of dealing with those situations. What take us back to I guess Black Saturday is a good starting point, but the, the Well, my house burnt down and everything burnt. Right. Didn't realise that. So there's a, a sort of a, an interesting starting point. Tell us about the nature of that work and it sounds like the most uh, amazing part of it was dealing with the, the aftermath of Black Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, because I had the lived experience um, of actually going through the fires myself, therefore it was um, something that I could connect very, very um, authentically to other people who were fire affected, not necessarily people whose properties had burnt down, but just that are fire affected in, in whatever capacity that looked like. Um, so it was really... It was just full on, like it was, yeah, like in, instead of sort of like having four years of work in a normal environment, it was like 20 years worth of work sort of compacted into two years. It was just incredibly, like it was manic. It was absolutely manic and it was dealing with all levels of government and it was dealing in situations which we'd never had a disaster of that size before. We'd never had funds donated by the wonderful Australian and worldwide community. Um, so it was just navigating all of that. And, and my role was to be an advocate for the community members because, as we all know, bureaucracy can get a little bit out of control. So I really had to make sure um, that the community got voices and that we, that yeah, that, that what was happening was for the community members not to tick boxes for, for government organisations. Sorry, I could go on forever, but anyway. Jack, um, you mentioned your, your, your property or your house, yep. you, you, yep. you lost it. I mean, uh, I gather uh, there were other properties around you that yep. um, the same thing happened with the lives lost within that community? That Not, No, no. That's what I always sort of come back to. Like, you can always rebuild. You can always replace fencing and sheds. And nobody that I knew within our community, there was a gentleman that did die in Reedy Creek. Um, but no one close to me died. So at the end of the day, it was sort of like, man, you can get over. Um, I don't think you ever get over it, but you can sort of power on a lot better if you don't have that that real um, that grief putting on top of, of sort of the trauma of, of Black Saturday. Absolutely. I remember coming back, we used to take the kids up to Bright every November, yep. and we'd go up the Hume, and then but then come back the Yay... Yeah. All that sort of stuff. And then when you're between Yay and Yarra Valley, yeah. and the the, the the spindly sticks were still, and yeah. there's the signs to Flowerdale and all those sort of, uh, uh, King yeah. Lake, sorry. Yeah. It just sent a shiver down your spine because it was just, yeah. it was really felt too soon. Hey, tell me if this is true or not. I heard <laughs> through a... <laughs> sorry. Uh, my understanding of the origins of Black Saturday, the, 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 the catalyst, the spark, was... Yeah. It was Kilmore on the outskirts, and yeah, a power was, line was down. And I, I actually know a story. Of a friend of mine who's a photographer, her sister lives in Kilmore, yep. and she claimed, well, I'm not saying she claimed, she obviously is telling the truth, but that she actually saw the incident that began the whole yep. thing, that began the disaster, and that was a spark from a fallen power pole. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yes, it was in Kilmore East, just on Saunders Road, or just sort of off Saunders Road, which is the, my sort of main dirt road to get into Kilmore. And um, yes, my like my mechanics, uh, Auto Farm, give them a plug because they're brilliant. Um, just in Kilmore East, they actually saw it and they went out there and 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 were first on scene to try and do it. And uh, yes, it was just horrific absolutely horrific and hopefully we never ever see anything like it again because it was just um yeah it was just horrific yeah absolutely hey um so at the age of 48 mum says you need a gap year you've had a stressful few years right no more disasters and then you move from one disaster to the next because you've taken on horse training. Uh, so, so tell us about Hank and his stable mates and how you how you build a stable. I mean, I know trainers who are rich with racing pedigree and who know who Winks was and all that sort of stuff, and 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 they can't get clients. So, how how difficult or easy has it been to start off? 
yeah, but very easy. Um, I I don't take on owners. Like I, for me, this is a hobby, and it's for the joy of it, and it is for going along on a ride with people um, who I already know and care and love. So it's it's family and friends. Um, so I, I, I at first started with um, like just a friend of mine in Gurnong. She she was busting. Have you got your license yet? Have you got your license yet? Because she had this other horse and blah. So I started off with a little horse, Betty's Reward. Horses, I've sort of left it not that I chase horses, that horses come to me. And that's what I've always done. And I've always had cracker horses. Um, so then, and then Anita Burke, who who I'm very good friends with, I worked with her for years at Kilmore Equine Clinic, and she's a, an equine vet, and she does the um, the harness very successfully with her husband Peter Lane. Um, she was starting her practice on her own. She was leaving Kilmore Equine, and she said to me because she had the dual license, she had the thoroughbred and the harness. And she approached me and she'd bred it with a a local lady, Mrs. Fletcher, who's just gorgeous. And she said, Jackie, I've I've decided that I can't do both. And my passion's with the the harness horses. And she said, I've got Hank there. He's an American. She bred him with, um, with Colleen. And she said, I'd really like, I've spoken to Mrs. Fletcher and Pete, and we'd really like him to come to you. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely, because I, I just really like the distance races more than the sprinting stuff. Um, and Colleen and so, is Colleen Bamford, who was the correct, part owner of American. Yep. Yes, yes. Her and Anita are very, very close. Um, yes, yeah, so that's how all of that happened. That's how Hank came to me. And then I do it very differently. Like mine are kept in paddocks, except for sort of when it's weather like it is at the moment. They just get boxed at night time. Um, but I do it more sort of like how I used to get my eventing horses fit is a lot of sort of interval training, a lot of hills, um, and then I only take them into the track to do fast work where you need that really consistent surface. Um, so, yeah, so then he he went shin saw the first prep, but he did really well, so then tipped him out and then... <laughs> And then another disaster. Um, my last October, my 21-year-old gorgeous, healthy daughter came down with a really random disease, and she ended up in ICU and dying. So I can't talk any more about that because okay. I'll cry. Yeah. We will too. Um, well, I will too. So we're, yeah, yeah. Sorry, so that I, was unexpected. We didn't, yeah, didn't know yeah, that, no, Jackie. I, I can't go into that anymore because mm. I just can't go there. But just to to give um give you guys, and then so I was mental, like completely mental. And I said to Anita and Mrs. Fletcher, I said, I really understand if you want to take Hank and pop him somewhere else. I just totally understand. And without even, like, there was no thought. Both of them just came straight back at me and said, we don't care if he never gets to the races. If he makes you smile, that's his job in life. We do not care. So, and that makes me really emotional just to know that I have, people around me who who are just absolutely phenomenal so they they just trusted the way that I do horses and they know that Hank gets looked after and just loved beyond what any horse does so yeah so that's that's Hank and Hank goes out to adult riding and Hank does dressage and Hank does (laughs) Hank does cross-country training and yeah Hank sounds like another sub-zero I don't know. I don't know. Well, she hasn't Sub-Zero, heard a Sub-Zero, Jackie, was a grey horse that won a Melbourne Cup <laughs> before Winx. <laughs> I find it really interesting um, that he's an American because, as you would know, Jackie, there are so many people in the equestrian world that have American horses off the yes. trackers and swear by their temperament. Yes, yes. Well, yeah. that's Hank. Hank is just like a call-in-the-family horse. <laughs> he sounds like it. Yeah, he's just... He's just a gem and, um, yeah, he's just wonderful. But but that's the expectation I have of all of my horses. Like, I've got four of them and they all go to adult riders and they all go out and do different stuff because it just, for me, it's sort of 
satisfies my equestrian side. At the same time, I feel it's really good for the horses just for them to be well-rounded and they actually know how to use their body correctly and they can turn and supple and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just really enjoying my journey and I've just, like, I still know nothing and I've got so much more to learn, um, but I'm just so incredibly thankful for all the people that I go to can I ask a question? <laughs> and then they sort of, I remember when I was working down with Peter and, and Chris, the foreman, Chris Hoisted, I'd go in and I'd go, now, Chris, can I ask a question? And he'd side go, oh, and the eye roll, go, what's your question? <laughs> uh, you know how you say you're still learning, right? I'm still learning. Well, we've, 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 we've helped, we're here to help you. So we've come up. <laughs> As we say goodbye, and you've been absolutely delightful, so we're going to be cheering Hank home every time. When's Hank? When do we see Hank on the racetrack again? By the way, well, oh yeah, I'm not. He'll tell me. I'm gonna like he's having a few days off. I'll hack him out on Friday, then I'll take him for a light gallop on Saturday, and then Gordon, who does his body work, Gordon Nash, um, he'll. I always get him to sort of. I go, well, is he right to go? And Gordon will go, yeah, he's good to go. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll tell me, and then because I've got to get him over turf, I don't know whether he can do turf because the um, yeah the race that he had at Maui on turf was just a train wreck, and like not from the ride or anything, just the, it was just a train wreck. So yeah, so I'll have to get him over turf mm. and then do that, and then I keep whispering to Hank, the Jericho, oh, yeah. oh. go come, <laughs> yo, don't don't do this to me, Jackie, because. I'm desperate to get a Jericho horse. I asked Kieran Murray if I could have a 1% of 1% of a Billy's Jericho horse last year, and he forgot all about it around 15th. Anyway, you've nailed it. The Jericho is, uh, as well as coursing racing, the love bus, which we're going to talk to you about soon. We have a love bus, and um, and the Jericho Cup are the only things, and maybe my kids, the only things that keep me going in life. So, a little um, bit of picnic racing. Yeah, and coursing a bit of picnic nowadays. racing. Um, now, Jackie. We yes. two things. We have a love bus um, that we we never got around to actually I'm getting the crew kidding. together, and we we very selective with our guests about which ones we allow on the love bus. So you know what I'm going to say. You're you're on. So don't worry about. It. You're on. You got seat one B. Simone insists on being in one A. So you're in one B. <laughs> and the other thing, Jackie. Yep. It, as we say goodbye, I've got a little race replay of a certain horse for you, just to kind of just to educate you a little bit about this little netty. That race in Sydney a few years. Hey, Jackie, thanks very much, and have a listen. Have a listen to this. Dapperture led for home. Felines is coming out after it on the outside. And then Sharma Dioro. Winks is now getting to the centre of the track and is hitting the line well. And Yarada Bell, but Feline sprinted. Winks is coming after it down the outside. Feline's the leader. Winks is closing in on the outside. It's finishing very fast. Gets up. Good win. It's a Winks beating Feline. Yarada Bell third. So now you've heard of a horse called Feline. I mean Winks. <laughs> She's no cat. That winks, isn't she? <laughs> she went on all right after that. But that was matter. her first start in a race, and and she was successful. And that, by the way, that the ginger horse I was talking about before was called. They called it Ginger Dude, but it looked like it was should be pronounced Ginger Dude when you were talking about ginger horses. I remember that Jackie. horse, yeah, and he was very good too. Has Clonbanane got a pub? No, no, there's nothing. No, like we won't be rushing there in a hurry then. <laughs> <laughs> there was a girl. There was a girl that I sold a little warm blood filly to a long time ago called Sharon Rank. Which right. I reckon she was around there, Clombinane. That that name rings a bell, but like I, my brain's fried now. Um, yeah, so the the name does ring a bell, but I I can't bring no. up. A... No, that's all right. I just didn't know if, if you knew her, but that was the mare was foaled in. Oh, about 96, I think. So it was a while ago. Yeah, she might have predated. Might have predated Jackie's time at Clonbanane. <laughs> hey, uh, good on you, Jackie. You're a legend. Take care. All right. Well, uh, we'll be cheering Hank home whenever we see him next. Thank you very much. Thanks, good Thank you for Thanks, your time. Jackie. See you later. Bye. 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 Car, the Waterloo Cup, which is what Greyhound racing used to be before people went to the dogs. This year made crossing history. Last year's runner-up, Rotten Row, won the final. And the owner's wife took off her scarf to give him the coursing blue ribbon. 
and I think it's safe to say our next guest was not around in 1937 at the Waterloo Cup, but he joins us now. Peter Craig, good morning, the president of the NCA, the National Coursing Association, a big time of the year for you. It certainly is, Simone. Good morning. Uh, yes, I missed that one. Uh, I've been to a couple since. Uh, I think I started going in the 70s. I think my first one was down Geelong. It was a three-day event. It was a uh, yeah, it was a big day um, on each day for the uh, punting. I know there was a couple of bookies there, and it was just huge in those days. Um, is it was it a bit like the old from Olympic Park and everything there those days? Yeah. Was it a bit like the old Dan? Do you remember the point to points where you'd go oh, to Werribee Park or yeah. Oakland's Junction? Oakland's, yeah, Cranbourne. There was one yeah, down Cranbourne. River Ramos was used to compete in them, and there were bookies, and you'd stand on a hill. And is that the is that do you, do you have any um, memory or any uh, awareness of the point to points at the Gallops, Peter? I'm trying to work out yeah, how the yeah, Waterloo yeah, Cup sort of down. feels compared to that. No, it's very similar, very similar. And, um, you know, it's one of those ones where the people are with the horses all day um, at the point-to-points and at, with the dogs, um, you know, the, the owners and trainers are, are with their dogs the whole day and, and it's just a great involvement. And and I think most of the people that get involved through, you know, in those days through the point-to-points for the horses and, and nowadays through the coursing, they just have such a love of the animals that they end up, it it's, becomes a part of their blood. When I was looking for a little British movie tone clip to have on the show this morning, there's so many and some of them are actually silent because they were so old. There was one from 1914. But when you, the general theme though is the amount of people standing out in these paddocks watching, it was back then, the live hair coursing. They were about 10 deep. The weather looked like it was freezing. Um, They were all in overcoats and hats and scarves and just watching those dogs do what they do best, and that's just run. And, of course, they're sighthounds, so it wouldn't have mattered what they were chasing. It's just something so exciting about seeing it. Um, even though when you look back in the day and they were live hares, it's, you know, it doesn't sit well with many these days. But um, in the context of that period, and, Peter, it must give you a thrill watching them go head-to-head these days too. Oh, it's great. And TRV, you know, picked up on just the head-to-head racing and we have a lot of the, you know, the speed stars and things these days uh, because it is so exciting. But, you know, if people want to, if you get on YouTube, uh, I know Clint at Bluestream uh, took some, made some great uh, videos of Lang Lang um, and the Waterloo Cup stand at Lang Lang going back a few years and, uh, and, and to watch it, it just looks magnificent. You know, real Australiana with the the gum trees in the background and two dogs head to head uh, you know it's just a wonderful sport and very exciting yep it is and sometimes the most primitive or simplistic version of something is still the best no matter how I'm, I was watching uh, uh, the racing from York Peter during the week and um, Bay Ede won a race and <clears throat> pardon me a small field wide panning shot you just got a sense of grandeur of the the, the location and horses galloping and it looked like they were galloping through a field because of the you know sort of the wide lens look at it but it's the same with coursing like it's the simplest version of greyhound racing but it's the purest and the most easy to sort of uh understand in a way and for someone like me who doesn't like them scorching around corners and flipping over i i love the this almost the the purity of uh, of running in a straight line with greyhounds yeah, and as a trainer uh, and an owner, you always think you're a chance. I mean, the dog might have run faster than you in the first course, but you might, you know, think your dog's going to be fitter for the third course. So, you know, you're always hopeful, uh, and it's never just down to the clock. It's uh, a lot of it's down to the intestinal fortitude of the dog, and and that's what I think most of the the coursing people just love about the sport. I think I mentioned this to you before, Pete, uh, calling the Waterloo Cups. I might have been inside the, the, the Gallops track. Uh, years and years ago, I, I would have been, wouldn't have been, might have just been a teenager, but they were long days and oh, they were, it was a great way to cut your teeth. But I do remember bookmakers. So are they a part of uh, the race days now? Yeah, we're down to one bookie now. Um, yeah, Gary Thomas is there. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll bet prices right from the start and, uh, with 54 entries this year, you know, you get good odds to start off with. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's always been a part of it, and uh, you take short odds in a two-dog race, but uh, if you want to bet early in the event, uh, then, you you know, you can get a nice price when there's 55 or 54 runners in the event. Is the coursing community almost a completely separate entity or a separate community to the 
professional greyhound community. Like the the jumps racing community in 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 racing is quite often separate in a lot of ways to the general racing community. How how connected are the is the coursing community to the general greyhound racing community? I, I think yeah, I think you've probably got a, a similarity there. Um, with the the big kennels, they can't afford to spend a day at the coursing. Um, and so you don't get the really big kennels there. Uh, but generally, the, the people involved in coursing, uh, you know, love spending the day there. And they're also, you know, at the, at the metropolitan and provincial meetings. I mean, you know, you look at the greyhounds that have won this year um, and at the coursing and just competed at the coursing and then gone to the track and, and won. Uh, you know, I had a great uh, couple of days after the Longwood meeting just recently where... Um, we had a, a maiden event over two weeks, so it was 16 dogs um, run twice one Sunday and then uh, twice again the following Sunday. And both the winner, the winner went to Bendigo and won at about um, three to one, uh, about four dollars. And then the, the runner-up uh, won at Shepparton uh, the following meeting, and I think it was thirty-four dollars. I got so yeah, I had a great run, <laughs> and, and generally they're the same people, um, but. You know, some of the dogs, um, you know, may not begin as well out of the boxes. A lot of the boxes, you know, jumping from the boxes, a lot of it's reflex. Um, whereas you'll see some dogs miss the start, but they've just got that early pace, but they just crash into the back of them. Well, those dogs are really suited at coursing. And um, you know, a lot of the dogs that may not be chasing as, as hard on the circle, you get them uh, two out where they're watching something that's bouncing across the ground, which is as natural as you can get. And it just changes their attitude. I've found, Peter, there has been a bit more of a crossover in recent years between the coursing and the normal circle racing, Um, whereas once upon a time we didn't really hear a lot about coursing, but it seems that some trainers are doing that a little bit more. The ones that are really into the coursing still race them on the circle where they can. Yeah, and I think also um, some of the things we've done in recent years, uh, we've gone away from the consecutive days for the classics. Um, Saturday and Sunday so it's a lot um, easier on the dogs uh, and you don't have to have them as conditioned uh, but, but I think that you know I know I'm out uh, on the eastern side of Melbourne um, down Langwarren near Cranbourne and, and I know the lack of training facilities um, down here these days has meant that um, you know, a lot of people are, are using the coursing um, to train their dogs and, and just to get them a bit keener on the, the circle. I mean, in the end, you know, we all want to race in, the, in town. Um, but, uh, but you know, there's, there's a couple of ways to get them there. And, and you know, some occasionally you get horses that have uh, taken a while to get their confidence and they come through the picnics. And, and there's a, a few uh, like that with the dogs that, uh, you know, have to go back for a confidence booster. Um, before they can, you know, really show their their best, where you know, everybody's aiming on the on the circle. And Peter, you've got a dog that uh, races at Sandown, and you race him at the coursing. Tell us about this little brother to Wow, she's fast. Yeah, well, he's not oh, you got the wrong one, Pete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we we had a, a, a lovely bitch um, that we raced, that we bred and raced, and uh, ran fourth in Uphill Jill's Laurels. So it's a pretty hot Laurels with Strike a Light and. Uphill Jill and, and our little girl and um, she, her first litter uh, was by Fernando Bale. We went to the leading sire and uh, we've won probably 50 races with those but nothing in the city. Uh, and then we bred a, a second litter by my bro Fabio. Uh, I loved the breeding, the, the cross. Um, I, I've spent a fair bit of time, it's probably too long if you ask my wife, um, studying the breeding of uh, dogs and horses and and uh, yeah, I bred a, a lovely litter, um, eight pups. We sold, we had uh, three dogs and five bitches, and uh, we can't keep them all here, so we decided we'd sell three of them, three of the bitches. And um, it turns out there was one that we sold called Wow, She's Fast that can run a little bit. Do you remember the litter? Do you remember her in the litter? Because what always amazes me with greyhounds is. They're so they're so hard to pick the, the the great one from the average one from same litters. They all you know all shapes and sizes. Do you have any recollection of well, she's fast as a, a wee little pup? She, I've got photos of her. Um, I know which one she was. There was there was a couple in it that very similar conformation. Um, 
that were a bit taller than the others. Um, it's a pretty leggy litter. Uh, the dog that I'm racing at Sandown got no bro. He's 37 and a half kilos, and his brother, he's no slouch, is 36, 37. Um, I know. Well, she's fast at about 32. I've got a bitch that's 32. They're big, leggy pups. and But there were two bitches very similar. Um, one of them had been named after one of my partner's daughters, so we couldn't send her away when Jack brought all three of them. And um, uh, we ended up keeping a, another one that was a, a bit stronger in the body um, that had been limping the week before, and I didn't want to send her away. So, you know, it, it was one of those things that, you know, you, you really can't, couldn't tell you couldn't pick one from the other at that stage but um, they were all a very even litter so it wasn't like as if we were we were worried about sending you know a, a runt or keeping a runt or anything like that there just wasn't anything like that in the litter. Yeah. So if Welshie's fast unnamed at the time put on a, a display a bit like some of those Jack Russells that pretend they've got a bit of a limp she'd still be there. Yeah did you nearly hang on to her? No, we were always going to sell three bitches. Um, at that stage, the first litter hadn't raced, so we weren't asking a lot of money. Um, and um, But, you know, it's one of those things. We, we're only on three acres here, so we couldn't keep them all. We had most of the previous litter, and um, uh, there was 12 in the previous litter, and we kept uh, eight of those. Um, and so, yeah, it was just one of those things. Um, my, my wife kicks me every time she races, but uh, in the end, we're the breeder of, you know, one of the best greyhounds going around, and that's a, a wonderful thrill to go and watch her. And you yeah. named you named your greyhound, he's no slouch. <laughs> I think that's a, a great, yeah, well, a great name. Yeah, a bit earlier than, she raced um, pretty early, and, and I'd heard rumours that she had gone pretty well, and broken in very well, and, and that, and um, in fact, uh, you know, I think that she broke in as well as any that Kellett and uh, Greg had had. Um, anyway, she ran at Sandown and, and there was uh, huge raps and she what she ran the fastest maiden ever at her first start. At, and um, about the same time I trialled uh, my bloke up at uh, Lang Lang and he hadn't been named at that stage and he went 200s outside the track record. And so um, I thought, well, I think my brother actually suggested the name. So, uh, yeah, it was one of those things where uh, we, we weren't going to forget him. So you never know. He, you know, If he keeps going, he's made the Group 1 maturity final. We bookended the race with the, the litter. Um, unfortunately, ours was at the wrong end. Mate, life's, there's no regrets in life. She's only going to be earning $2 million in the near future. So don't worry too much about what, what may have been. You've got the, the coursing to focus on, mate. Don't worry about oh, it. Yeah, it'd be lovely to have um, uh, matching Waterloo Cup trophies <laughs> in the, on the mantelpiece. Yeah. Hey, tell us about, because I see the sign to Lang Lang. I know there's a golf course at Lang Lang, and I know there's a sign when you go down towards Phillip Island. What's the If we decide to take our the RSN Love Bus to the Lang Lang coursing, what, what sort of a day will we have? Ah, great day. Um, you'll have um, you'll have Gary there yelling out the odds on every every race. You'll have a, a nice little canteen there, and you'll have people there just loving their dogs. Uh, there'll be a couple of campfires going. Uh, Murray Collier will be doing a, a Master Chef impersonation at half time, cooking up for half of the people that are there. Um, it's just such a friendly place, um, I, and I think that's what gets it all the owners and trainers that go there for the first time. Um, there's, there's no, you know, sitting in groups. Everybody's um, uh, mingles. And, you know, if anybody's got a question or they, they, you're there for the whole day. So, you know, if you don't have something, you, you go to the camp next to you and, and they help out. And, and it's just one of those things, especially with the coursing, there's a race every couple of minutes. Um, so if you've got, three or four in, it, it's physically impossible to handle. So, you know, everybody helps everybody and, and it's just a, a great day. Yep. Well, we know Matt's the king of the picnics in the horse racing. Perhaps he... Seems um, like the same vibe. Yeah, yeah I mm. think you'd fit in very, mm. very you well there, Matt. can be their patron as well. Yeah, perhaps. I wouldn't mind being a coursing cross, patron. Cross codes. But... I used to be the ambassador for Balnaring, but I think it was an annual thing and I didn't get a invitation back. Maybe you upset someone. Well, they cancelled <laughs> the season. They blame me for COVID. <laughs> Sunday week, 
Sunday week would be a great time to come down and have a look at Langley and, yeah. and some and, of our best dogs. And $15,000 to the winner of the Waterloo Cup, and you've also got the Waterloo Plate and Waterloo Purse. So it sounds like a a great weekend, or the next two weekends, Peter, sounds like a great weekend. Look, I, I just it's the wrong side of town for me, and I'm just so tied up with horse things and pony trots and... Dogs, it's just hard to get away, but um, maybe one day we will venture down well, there. It just sounds like a cruisy day, doesn't it? Yeah, campfires, people sort of milling around, you know. Matt's firming in the market. I, I think he is. And I, do you know what? You could go to the coursing and people get to know you and you could spruik our show. So you you're could... cracking the codes on the on the yeah. on the road. I'll know your show. The feedback when mm. I'm at the Greyhounds is fantastic, as mm. you would well any, know, Simone. Any single ladies there, Pete? <laughs> We could probably we'd probably put our word Find out, some. and they'd, they'd all flock from. Oh, well, especially with with identities from cracking the codes on track, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Uh. No, look, I, I think it, it's one of the one of the great things about it is that the dogs are, are central to it. So, you know, you walk through the car park at a coursing meeting, and there's folks with their dogs and getting them out, and if they're not washing their feet after that run and giving them a drink, they're rubbing them down before the next run, and you know that. But it's just a, a, a part of um, uh, the folklore of, of coursing, you know, with, with people being so close to their dogs, and, and that's what people love. And it's what gets everybody that comes the first time, gets them back, and uh, when they see the way their dogs improve, it's not like going to the track where, you know, you half an hour before they're in the kennels and, uh, you know, you go to Sandown, race 11 Thursday night, and um, you go into the restaurant and you come out three and a half hours later and uh, get your dog out and race and go home. Um, it, it's nothing like that. So it's just a, a great uh, great day and um, you'll just have to come down, Matt, and um, just yep. experience just the, the fun that it is. See how, you, see how I go. Hey, it sounds like a snapshot of history. I think those everyone sort of... You know, yearns for things you know like that, like they used to be. But it sounds like a day at the coursing is very much could have been plucked out of 1955 or 1975. It doesn't sound in a great way. It doesn't sound like a lot's changed, which is fantastic. Uh, well, a fair bit changed because they don't have live hairs anymore. There's an old other than that important factor. <laughs> an old shed falling down at the back in the in the scrub at uh, Lang Lang, but. Um, yeah, and I think what it does get it get all, gets all the kids involved, you know, and and so whilst it's from 1955, it actually is we're introducing a lot of new people to the sport, and um, and and it's the hands-on that the kids have that they don't have at the track, and um, the whole family gets involved when they come along to coursing. Yeah, no, it's um, from all the the vision that I've seen, and I did go to the coursing back at the Geelong racetrack oh, it was a long time ago it's probably about 25 years ago and I remember at the time I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't hold on to the greyhound when uh, when um was it Cole Brett Peter Brett Cole who was the slipper that um we lost the last couple of years Peter um no. Gary was it Gary Brett Gary yeah Gary, Gary Brett. Brett so yeah. um Cole's his brother sorry and yeah I remember letting yeah. letting the dog go and he went You're supposed to hang on to him somehow. I know but I didn't understand the whole collar arrangement with the slipper putting the collar on and they have to hold the dogs you don't just take your collar off but um yeah so I have got a memory from back in the day but Peter it's that been was wonderful. Her, that was her fashions on the field era no, too Peter that was well before yeah. fashions on the field but um look it's been great having you on cracking the codes this morning thank you for joining us again it's always fascinating to talk about coursing and the history and the differences and the similarities with mainstream greyhound racing so all the very best to you over the next couple of weekends with the Waterloo Cup series thanks very much good on you Pete um Dan it does remind me of the picnics and the point to points. Point to point, yeah. And I remember when I first started back in, you know, I reckon the point to points were still going up until nearly the 2000s. I reckon they were. They... I definitely was going in the uh, the early 90s. I yep. remember going to quite quite a few of them. They Werribee were fantastic. Park. Yeah, yeah. Um, around Yarra, the mansion. Yarra Glen, around the, the, yeah. the Gallops track. Yeah. Um, out near um, the Tullamore, out past uh, Oakland's, Oakland's yeah. Junction. Yep. And there were bookies there. Cranbourne. Yeah. Cranbourne was a ripper yeah. as well. I don't know if it was listed as Cranbourne, but it was around that area. It was just before Cranbourne. Yeah. I actually would genuinely like to go to the Lang Lang coursing. Well, I think you should. Take well, one for the, the team. Pe- people sitting around fires and, yeah. you know, Very here, look key. after my greyhound mate. I've got to go to the toilet, you know, like all that sort of stuff. Do people camp out on the Saturday and 
do they camp there? Oh, potentially. I thought it sounded like I'm that's what sure. he was saying. So that's Oak Bankish, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. I've, uh, I think it's just a long day get, for I've got to get me a coursing dog. There. Something that just runs straight. Straight. And it goes for about 15 seconds. For and can race five times and, yeah. in a day. Mm. And I would imagine, Simone, without knowing that the injury rate would not be as high. Yeah, I I've think got, absolutely right. got a bit of a thing about that that should be a really big issue for greyhound racing to, I love greyhound racing, um, but any effort they can possibly make to, with the cambering of the turns, which we spoke about the meadows and bringing more straight galloping into greyhound racing. Well, they have I, done I, that. I think, I think visuals are really important. I think that's a great challenge for greyhound I think, racing. I think the that... straight racing, uh, well, it was non-existent until Hillsville come along and you've had Capella Bar made a comeback, Murray, Murray Bridge. Bridge. The track in New South Wales. There's a straight up Richmond. Richmond. Isn't Richmond? there a Richmond? Yeah. yeah, there is. I think it's really important to keep the bad visuals out. It is, but by the same token, the amount of research and study that goes into the circle tracks these days and the injury rates dropping and the preparation of the tracks, they are doing everything that they can do and keeping up with the times to eliminate no doubt. as many injuries. And, and you, you find with the better dogs as well, sometimes it's the less, less experienced dogs that... Do find trouble, um, but the the better dogs you generally find that they don't get injured. There's not so much. Um, well, they're smarter the for they're a reason, aren't they? Yeah. And the horses are not dissimilar. Mm. But then you humans. can have greyhounds in the, injure themselves in the. Perhaps I've seen humans. A lot of humans do the equivalent of spinning out in the first turn, metaphorically speaking. They yes. just can't get around that turn. <laughs> <laughs> Be interesting to get an update from the meadows about. Remember that discussion we had with the meadows about. 70 Cracking the Codes episodes ago about the the looking at the um, potential for the site um, mm. yeah. and also the cambering. I'd be interested to get an update on how they've gone with all that. Yeah, I can I can find out for yeah. sure. He's just hand, but that's called a handball. That's all right. I said it would be interesting too. I didn't say it'd be interesting if Simone did. But you looked at Simone when you said it. Well, I was talking to her. She's yeah. sitting right beside me. Mm. It's nice being back in the studio, by the way. I agree. Yeah, These cold is. starts. Gee, our, it's been an awful week weather-wise. It makes oh, it tougher. Can sometimes. I just explain to listeners, and Simone, Simone's a fashion icon, so mm. she will... <laughs> I don't know where you, it You've got the from. scarf indoors, but also tucked in occasionally under the collar of the shirt. Oh, wear it on the back of my neck more so, and it, and it just makes the back of haven't, my neck warmer, not exposed. An, you've got enough woolly protection there That's in the back true. of your neck There's already, though, don't you? element of what you say is true. <laughs> and we've got our trusty producer back, Craig. He just couldn't be without us, so he's back again this I thought, week. Yeah, I thought we got rid of you. Oh, that's not very nice. No, I think he thought he got rid of us. <laughs> that was probably more the point. <laughs> wow, what a morning. That's two wonderful guests um, covering areas I didn't think we'd get to cover, guys, but uh, well done. Um, it's good to see you step up to the uh, occasion and and perform for a change. I've been getting sore shoulders after a period of time, but seriously, they were two fantastic interviews. And we've got a big day ahead, uh, Matthew, with uh, the 10 or 12 show later, uh, Mooney Valley today, and of course, the Group 1 Wink Stakes in Sydney. Absolutely. Well, my desire now, Simone, is to take Jackie to the coursing. On the love bus. On the love bus. How did this bus turn into a love bus? It was just a bus that we are going... Well, the world's going through a difficult time at the moment. I think spreading of love and... You know, love and, and affection. affection. Yeah. yeah. Okay. With masks on. And I just saw a doco recently about the the a tribute to Woodstock as well. So I'm feeling a little bit, you know. Mm. Dan, let's let's sort of dance our way into the studio from ten to twelve and <laughs> keep it going. It sounds like a midsummer see. night's dream. I'll be over on you, be Titania. Yeah. Oh, oh. Uh. All right. See. I'll see you then, Simone. We'll see yeah, you, see um, you this week. time. Same bat channel. Same bat time. You will.